This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, welcome to Super Tuesday, or as Joe Biden calls it, Super Thursday. Yes, he really did. Yes, he really did. You can't make up what Joe Biden is out there saying on the campaign trail. You really can't make it up. And, you know, it's to the point where when you hear Joe Biden saying things that are nutty, you feel sorry for him. He's an older gentleman. He's getting up there in years. He's traveling the country. He's having a very punishing schedule, no doubt, showing up in all these different states and trying to win votes and trying to come up against Bernie Sanders and his socialist cabal. I mean, he's got stuff to do and he's he's old and I feel sorry for him. Just on a human level, I feel really sorry for Joe Biden. And he really did call it Super Thursday. Now, in this in this case, he actually caught himself and said, oh, I mean, Super Tuesday. Oh, Joe, you know, it's time to just go home and bounce the grandchildren on your knee. That's what I said about Hillary in 2016. Why are you out there stumbling? Why are you out there looking like you're in pain all the time, Hillary? I never liked Hillary's positions, of course. But on a human level, when you're seeing her do all these weird physical things and people were talking about her health, I thought, you know, how strong is your ambition when you won't just stay home and take care of your health? So that's a subject for another day. But right now, I want to go to some of these clips, because if you have not heard some of the things that former Vice President Joe Biden is saying on the campaign trail, you need to hear these things because it really does make my point. I want to go first to what Joe Biden had to say yesterday. Listen to cut one. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the Go, you know, the, you know the thing. I didn't make that up. I did not do anything. I didn't splice that cut. I didn't put in somebody else's quote. I didn't doctor the audio. That's what he really said. I, I, I believe what he was trying to say was the second paragraph, main paragraph in the Declaration of Independence. Let's see if we can get this right. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Wouldn't it be great to see somebody stand up on the campaign trail and recite that from memory? Trump, do it. (laughs) I want to see somebody do it. I think that would be the ultimate troll moment for President Trump to get up and quote the Declaration of Independence without a teleprompter and to be able to do it word for word. Somebody should get that idea to him. At any rate, here's something else that Joe Biden had to say in recent days, and it was about taxes. Listen to cut two. By the way, how many of you did really well with that $1.9 trillion tax cut that increased? Really good shape, right? Really changed your, well, you did. Well, that's good. You must, I'm glad to see you're doing well already. 
And I'm good. But guess what? If you elect me, I'm not going to have you. Your taxes are going to be raised, not cut. If you're if you benefit from that. What did he really just say? Is this the new way you become president? Oh, you know that thing that the current guy is doing that's working really well for America? Well, you elect me because I'll undo it. I'll make sure to take more of your hard-earned money, and I'll be sure to institute more programs that will require you to pay higher taxes. Baby, vote for me. I got your best interest in mind. <laughs> what kind of strategy is this? What kind of strategy is this? And he's saying to these people, so did you like those tax cuts? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, good, because I'm going to raise your taxes. This is the guy that the Democrats are getting behind. This is the guy that Amy Klobuchar got behind and endorsed. And Buttigieg is all for Biden. And everybody is getting behind Biden because Biden's the guy and they've got to stop Bernie Sanders. Listen, I I have all kinds of problems with Bernie Sanders. I think it's train wreck-a-rama over on the Democrat side. But it's just bizarre to me. Is this really the best field you can come up with? Honestly, is this the best field you can come up with, Democrats? I don't understand it. Let's go back to Uncle Joe once more. What exactly is he doing on the campaign trail? Well, this is another recent gaffe. Listen to cut three. You're the ones that sent Barack Obama the presidency. And I have a simple proposition here. I'm here to ask you for your help. Where I come from, you don't get far unless you ask. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Look me over. If you like what you see, help out. If not, vote for the other guy. Give me a look, though, okay? Wait, wait a minute. Joe, you're not running for the Senate. Can you just picture his staff off stage? Joe, Joe, hey, hey, Mr. Vice President, look, you're not running for the Senate. You're running for the presidency. And by the way, you're telling people to vote for the other Biden? <laughs> Is your son running? Has Hunter come home from Ukraine and he's going to run for president now? The other. Can you imagine being on the staff of the Biden campaign? What is going on with these people? Now, it got even worse when he also said this about the Senate. Listen to cut four. Well, I'm looking forward to appointing the first African-American woman to the United States Senate. Yeah, that's right. Did you know that, that the president appoints people to the Senate? Just as an election strategy, I guess the voters are just left out of it. And by the way, we've already had a first black woman elected to the Senate. That was Carol Mosley Braun from Illinois. She was the first black female senator. She was in office from 1993 to 1999. And by the way, Senator Kamala Harris was also in the Senate, the second black woman to be elected to the upper chamber. And she was elected in 2017. I don't know. Maybe he meant he's really going to appoint a black female senator, and that would be the first appointed black female senator. I, I don't, who knows what he means? Who knows what is going on in that head of his? At any rate, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is what Politico has to say about Super Tuesday. Moderate and establishment Democrats are rapidly coalescing around Joe Biden in advance of Super Tuesday with an onslaught of endorsements of the former vice president that supporters are betting will create a two-person race between him and Bernie Sanders. First of all, who are these moderate phantom Democrats that we're talking about? Who are moderate Democrats? I I didn't even know there was such a thing. I, I really, honestly, 
And then Bloomberg, apparently, Mike Bloomberg, little Mike, uh, has yet to book TV ads after Super Tuesday, so he could be on the verge of exiting the race. A source with knowledge of the conversation said talks were occurring at the staff level between the Biden and Bloomberg campaign since last week. Another source said that high-level donors who had been persuaded to hold back on Joe Biden following his devastating losses in Iowa and New Hampshire had started pushing back, telling Bloomberg team members they were likely to shift back to Biden. Why? Who knows? Biden senior advisor Anita Dunn told Politico that the campaign doesn't think it's in a position to tell other candidates what to do. But she said, given the stated purpose to get into the race was to nominate a Democrat who could beat Trump and not move the party too far to the left, it would seem like the choice is very clear between two candidates. Bloomberg is a man who has made and built his fortune on metrics and is clearly someone who can judge the metrics for himself. Biden's super PAC has stated outright that Bloomberg's candidacy is boosting Sanders. A memo from Unite the Country, the pro-Biden PAC, said Bloomberg's $500 million in ads basically is serving as the Bernie Sanders super PAC, dividing the large share of Democratic voters who do not identify in the super liberal lane of the party. I just would like to know how you could possibly look at Joe Biden and some of the stuff that he's had to say, not the gaffes that you just heard. He's talked about taking away your guns with a national buyback program. He's all in with the LGBT agenda. He's all in with abortion. What what moderate positions does he have other than he's not quite the open commie that Sanders is. I I don't understand this. He's the guy who can beat Trump. I mean, every time he goes out on the trail, it's like somebody needs to take mercy on him. Honestly, I'm being completely forthright here. I feel sorry for him. I think he's a terrible candidate. I think he was a terrible vice president. But I really think somebody needs to look at his health situation and say, Joe, we really need to take you home. We really need to get you off the campaign trail because... Something may be really physically wrong with him. And it's important to deal with the humanity of a candidate and not put ambition first. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about Bernie Sanders. Stay with us. How much is one life worth? Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Meffer Today listeners, just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of preborn. How does preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need your help to support the vital work of preborn in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. 
the healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. Thanks for being with us. Super Tuesday is today, or as Biden put it, Super Thursday. Then he changed to Super Tuesday. I got to get that in there. And by the way, Chris Matthews, Mr. Thrill Up His Leg, is out. He's no longer going to be on hardball. He's had a lot of problems of late. A GQ columnist accused him of making sexist remarks, and then he made some gaffes on the air. He compared the Bernie Sanders campaign to the Nazis. He misidentified an African-American politician. So it was a very bizarre moment. Chris Matthews talking for a couple of minutes, apologizing for complimenting women in ways that he shouldn't have complimented them. Cut to commercial, and he's gone. (laughs) So we won't have Chris Matthews to kick around this election season. Boy, the Democrats are not in good shape. They're just not in good shape. And it's interesting to note that David Avila over at Fox News says Democrats are on the verge of a lose-lose situation, and it's one that they're bringing on themselves. Bernie Sanders is both the front runner and the focal point for what is likely to transpire. And that's, I mean, I really think he's right about that. The question for Democrats is just what can be done to keep both the activist base and the party elites and establishment happy. Not much, it would appear. Super Tuesday, today, voters in 14 states and one U.S. territory will elect their choice for the Democratic Party's nominee. And more than a third of the delegates to the DNC, the Democratic Convention, I should say, will be decided today. Is there a single person who believes anyone other than Bernie Sanders will be solidly in first place after the votes are counted on Tuesday night? There's no question that former Vice President Biden won an impressive victory in South Carolina Saturday night, but it remains to be seen if Biden can build on that win in any meaningful manner. At this point, would you truly rather be Biden than Sanders? The New York Times reports that interviews with dozens of Democratic Party officials, including 93 automatic delegates, formerly known as superdelegates, found overwhelming opposition to handing Sanders the nomination if he fell short of a majority of delegates. Overwhelming opposition. Remarkable. There's little doubt about the core support from Democratic voters for the proud Democratic Socialist. It just can the Democratic part just say socialist. It comes from the most activist, most progressive and least willing to compromise elements of the Democratic Party. And more than once in this election cycle, these voters have made known their contempt and disgust for how insiders operated in 2016 when they did all that was in their power to block Sanders and nominate Hillary. At least in 2016, Hillary received more primary votes than Sanders. So we're going to see how it goes down today. But let's talk about Bernie Sanders a little bit, shall we? Bernie Sanders, total radical, total socialist, weird dude. 
Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> he's a weird dude. He's out there, man. And the three houses, but he's the man of the people. And I don't get it. I don't get how this guy got elected, but I, I guess I'm just, I'm just not like the people that elected Bernie, I suppose. I want to go to this clip from 60 Minutes because I want you to remember what Bernie had to say about Fidel Castro's communist regime in Cuba that slaughtered people and jailed its own citizens. And Bernie thought, hey, you know, he was, he was pretty good. Listen to Cut 5. Back in the 1980s, Sanders had some positive things to say about the former Soviet Union and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And everybody was totally convinced. Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. He educated the kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office. You know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it? There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right. Oh, my word. I mean, this is so bad. How do you even talk about this without shaking your head in disgust? Hey, of course, Cuba was terrible. And of course, they were oppressive. And of course, they killed their own people and they threw people in prison. But, you know, they had a good literacy program. Yeah. And Hitler had a lot of law and order, too. Right, Bernie? I mean, why would we look at things like Auschwitz when we can look at the law and order sensibilities of Adolf Hitler? Really? I mean, and this guy is ahead This guy is the guy that so many people on the Democrat side want to be the president. Take that in for a minute. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with you? You live in the freest country, the most prosperous country on planet Earth. I still argue the best country on planet Earth, even though we certainly have a lot to repent of and a lot for the Lord to bring us back from. No doubt about it. But fundamentally, when you look at the United States and the great country into which we have all been born or into which we have immigrated, we have to thank the Lord for our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to assemble, all of these things that are promised to us in our founding documents that confuse Joe Biden. But that's another subject. Why in the world would you want someone to come in who thinks oppression is a good thing, who thinks that redistributing the wealth is a good thing, that you steal from people in order to give to other people? You steal from the haves to give to the have nots so everybody will be equally poor and you will take away the freedoms that Americans have enjoyed for over 200 years. Why would you want that? I mean, are you masochistic? You want things to be worse? I I just I, I. just think it's such a delusion and such a deception that so many, especially millennials, are under that they think this guy's the cool guy. And I wanted you to listen to a particular testimony on Cuba, just a short one, from a daughter of a Cuban exile. Her name is Nicole Maliotakis. She is a New York State Assembly member, a Republican, and she had this to say about her own family's experience with Cuba. This is Cut Six. My mom is a Cuban refugee who came to this country fleeing her homeland in 1959. Uh, She left her father behind. My grandfather uh, had small businesses. He had two gas stations. He had a home. It was seized by uh, their so-called socialist revolution. Uh, He had stayed hoping that he would one day uh, see those properties restored to him, Um, but he never did. He died there waiting. It's very offensive to hear Bernie Sanders romanticize socialism and the the Castro Revolution, say he was excited by the Cuban Revolution. But I remember 
for some reason, I've been very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba. Something that tore my family apart, that destroyed the lives of Cuban people. You know, you see Cuban people swimming among sharks to flee here because of all that America offers. You don't see American people fleeing to Cuba. Uh, because nobody wants to live under those conditions. As a matter of fact, my family writes to us saying they need Tylenol, they need basic necessities. Uh, they don't have access to these things that we take for granted in this country. And I think that's what young Americans need to understand. But they have a literacy program. Isn't that wonderful? Right, because capitalists can't possibly come up with a literacy program and teach their children to read. It's just incredible. The thing that strikes me as well is that there is an entire generation or two that does not understand that socialists, by definition, are liars. They're liars. They lie all the time. They tell you they will do one thing, and then when they get into power, they do other things. Just look at the history of communism. Look at the history of all of these communists, all of the Bolshevik Revolution, what happened in Cuba, what happened in the Soviet bloc. Look at who these people actually were and what they actually said and what they actually did. Look at what Barack Obama did. Look at what Barack Obama did. Do you remember when he was at Saddleback Church and he was doing a debate and he was talking about marriage and he believes that marriage is between one man and one woman he didn't believe that. He didn't believe it then, and he didn't believe it the day that he lit up the White House with rainbow colors to do an in-your-face to every single conservative who was outraged by the Obergefell decision in 2015. He, he didn't suddenly change his mind. L look back at his record when he was in Illinois. He didn't suddenly change his mind on whether or not two men should be able to, quote-unquote, get married or two women. He, he always thought that. He thought that for years before he came out and he stood in a church and he lied to the American people about marriage. Why? Because you have to assuage people's fears. You have to make sure that people hear all the stuff that they want to hear. And then when you get into power, you can unroll everything else. And that's exactly what we went through when Barack Obama won two terms as, as into the presidency. And it's insane. Speaking of insane, I want to get to this as well, because this was something that uh, Bloomberg advisor Tim O'Brien was talking about recently. He was discussing the loony writings of Bernie Sanders. He called it loopy stuff in his background, saying things about women's rape fantasies, claims that certain intimate acts prevent cancer. It was very, very bizarre. This was from the Washington, I'm sorry, this is from the Washington Free Beacon. And this was what they said. Sanders wrote, cervical cancer could be tied to poor sexual adjustment in an essay for the Vermont Freeman, a defunct far-left newspaper founded in 1969. Sanders cited a journal called Psychosomatic Medicine to bolster his claim, which has no factual basis. In a 1972 article, Sanders also wrote about a woman fantasizing being raped by three men in what Mother Jones describes as a stream of consciousness essay on the nature of male-female sexual dynamics. What is wrong with this guy? Then he also made a comment about toddlers and, and nudity. It was just terrible. He said, if children go around naked, they're liable to see each other's organs. You know, terrible thing. If we raise kids up like this, it will probably ruin the whole pornography business. What is he talking about? This man is in no way, shape, or form somebody 
whom Americans should be putting into public office. But you look at Biden and you say he shouldn't be there either. And and, and I don't understand what will come of this other than the fact that it's going to be an incredible mess for the Democrats heading into 2020. It will be a terrible mess. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But what will come out of it is the question, will the Democrat Party survive? Because if it's already so far left that it's full-blown socialist at this point, and that's the future of the Democrat Party, you're either going to have success along those lines and turn the United States into a socialist country, which I pray will never happen, or the Democrat Party will have jumped the shark and will dissolve and a new party will form. And that's hard to imagine as well. But I don't think they can keep going like this. I'm a moderate, Joe Biden says. I'm going to take your guns. Well, if you're a moderate, what is an extremist anymore? We're going to come back. There's a lot ahead. So stay with us here on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at istillbelievemovie.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, I love the way the King James puts Proverbs 1130. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. And yet how much do we care about soul winning these days? As the Pew Research Center has reported, its phone surveys conducted in both 2018 and 2019 show that 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. But that is down 12 percentage points over the past decade. We are definitely going the wrong way. But is there a way that we can get our soul winning back on track? We're going to talk about this today with Jeff Jarena, who is founder and host of Men Unplugged and author of the book we'll be discussing called Faith Without Fear, How to Share What You Believe with Confidence and Power. Jeff, it's great to have you with us. How are you? Janet, thank you so much. I'm doing really good. And I really do appreciate the opportunity and the invitation to be on your show. And I'll tell you what, I'm super excited for the opportunity to know you and your audience better. Well, we're glad you're here. And this is such an important subject. I I grabbed something that you said in your book, which really shook me a little bit. It said that if every Christian shared the gospel with a different person every year, the whole world would hear about Jesus in less than three years. And my first reaction was, why aren't we already doing this? I mean, what do you think is going on? Well, I mean, I'm glad that there was something I said that you liked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was more than that, but that one really grabbed me right out of the gate. Well, to, to answer your question, I, I, I probably, the way I'm going to phrase this is kind of go from my own struggles, if I could do that. And if I go too long, just, you know, say, hey, Jeff, I'm going to cut you off. But, um, you know, really, when I placed my faith in Christ back in 2001, I was so zealous for what Jesus did for me. I mean, he radically transformed my life. I went, I went from somebody who had severe depression, suicide thoughts for, for four years of my life, and then I placed my faith in Christ, and it was like I was so excited to tell people what he did for me, but here's what would happen, Janet. I was so happy to tell them about what he did for me, but yet I left them hanging. Hmm. I never told them how they could have the same hope of Christ that we do. And so, you know, that really bothered me. 
I was like, why do I not know how to do this? And so I started asking other individuals, other Christians, and going to other churches and talking to pastors, and here's what I found. That the reason that we think why we're not sharing our faith, which a lot of people, the consensus is because of fear or doubt, Mm -hmm. that's not really the reason. The reason is because nobody is teaching believers. Hmm. The whole body of Christ, the church as a whole, we're not doing that. Right. So it's a, a lack of training then that you're referencing. That's really what the problem is, that a lot of Christians who might be willing to share their faith are hesitating because they feel inadequate, that there's something they you should know to share their faith that they're they're just not getting. Maybe somebody's not training them to, to, to share their faith in a way that's effective or in a way that makes them less fearful. That's exactly right. That's a good point. And, and the way I look at it this, is this way. A confused mind is going to stop. It's not going to do something. And if you think about it, go back to your days as, as a child. And, and I'm looking at me, I, rem, I remember I had this red huffy bike. I mean, this thing was big. Okay, before that, it, was a, it had training wheels on it. And I wanted to get these training wheels off. I wanted to get those shackles we call training wheels so I could ride free. I could go more places. I could go faster. But yet, I didn't really know how to do that. I had to learn. I had to practice and practice and practice. My parents had to teach me how to ride a bike. And then next thing you know, I get the training wheels off, and I'm actually learning how to do this. And then you look at, you know, when I first started brushing my teeth, I wasn't an expert. You know, you, you start speaking, you had to learn how to do these things. And as a brain surgeon or um, somebody maybe in your audience that, that is a cardiologist or something like that, they had to get special schooling, special training to become really good at that particular subject or that skill. And I'm saying, what I say in this book, Faith Without Fear, is the same thing applies in evangelism. Regardless of your age, your vocation, spiritual gift, whatever that is, you can learn how to simply share your faith with confidence and power and do it naturally. Right. Now, there are always Christians who will come back with the typical line where they'll say, well, I just don't have the gift of evangelism, Jeff. That's not me. I'm just, I've got the gift of hospitality, so I don't have to go out and share my faith with other people. Is that a crutch in your opinion? Do you think that's just a lame excuse? Well, man, you're pretty rough. I don't want to say lame excuse, but <laughs> <laughs> just being but honest, I, you know. Yeah, you no, know, but I, I, I'm exact. What I, what I see it as, and I think we're kind of we talked about this a little bit, is I see that as a um, excuse, but really it's a symptom of the underlying, the root cause. We go back to this of nobody really knowing how to witness. Hmm. Okay, now, and I say that because. As I said earlier, I had the same struggles. Right. You know, I didn't know how to share my faith. I doubted that, you know, I knew enough about the Bible to really make an impact in somebody's life. But you know what? This is what I say right now to your listeners, to, to anybody listening, that here's the thing. All those reasons, all that stuff is wrong. It's faulty. And the other thing is, it's not our fault. Right? It's not our fault. If, if you don't... If you're not taught on how to do something, how can you get good at it? Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. to learn how to do this. So what I say is that we need to change that. We need to start, you know what, getting some training, getting some coaches. We need to get 
resources like this book. We just, you know, do one little step at a time, one little lesson at a time in this book, and the next thing you know, you're going to be able to share your faith to anyone at any time. I hope that answered the question. Let's talk about that a little bit, Jeff, because this is very important. People will say, all right, I I want to share my faith. I don't want my friends and family and neighbors to go to hell. I want to be able to share Jesus Christ with them so they can believe the gospel and have eternal life and abundant life in this life. Where should I begin? Do I share my testimony? Do I begin with a Bible verse? Do I just kind of casually work it into whatever conversation I'm already having? How would you advise somebody to begin that process of sharing the gospel with someone when they've never really done it before. I tell you what, the way you frame that question, I can tell you what, you do this a lot. You do this every day. So very good question. Um, And I can can tell here, you know a lot about evangelism and and read a lot of stuff in my book. But yeah, I would say the first place to start, the first place to start is your testimony. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, that's where God met you is your life. Right. That's how your life was turned around through the gospel message, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I say that's the first place to start. And for me, that's the easiest because you know what? It's about you. Who doesn't like talking about themselves, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so if you talk about your testimony, basically what it is, is this, you're telling somebody what... God did for you? What were your circumstances when you understood the gospel message? Okay, and then how has he turned your life around now? That's really the beginning point. And, and I know the argument is that the, the counter here is that someone can say, well, I don't know how to share my testimony. I don't know how to do that. Well, I actually have a chapter in the book called Just Ask. I don't know if you read that or not, but what I tell people is that you actually do know how to start a spiritual conversation. You just don't realize it. Hmm. Well, what I say here in that chapter is that most people know how to say hi to people. They know how to, hey, how's it going, Janet? How you doing today? Hey, did you check out that new product on Amazon? Um, how are your kids? That sort of stuff. We know how to do that. That's the beginning part of sharing the gospel message is first of all, you're letting that other person know that you care about them. And if they see that you care about them, it's going to be much easier for them to see and realize that the God of the universe, the one who created them, their creator, cares about them because you, as a follower of Christ, are asking them about them. Now, you don't want to come out and say, hey, this is what I do, this is all about me. We don't do that. That would be weird, right? Mm -hmm. Those type of individuals are weird. But when you go out just asking questions about that individual, then when you share your testimony, they're going to be all ears. And I want to add this here. Tell you what, hang on just a moment, Jeff. We'll we'll do that little advance and people will come back and hear what you have to say. Jeff Jarena, his book is called Faith Without Fear. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll come right back after this.
Christians losing their businesses for not baking wedding cakes for homosexuals. Parents losing custody for not affirming their child's gender identity. Big tech censoring Christian books, videos, and social media posts. This isn't a dystopian nightmare. It's America in 2020. But what will God's people do to respond to the sexual radicals whose rising social and political power is threatening our religious freedom and our free speech? It's time for Christians to get informed about the looming threats that we're facing and learn how to respond as both salt and light. That's why I'd like to personally invite you to join me at our second annual God's Voice Conference, a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny coming to Oklahoma City on April 17th and 18th. You'll hear from an unprecedented lineup of some of the leading Christian thinkers, pastors, pro-family activists, and medical and therapeutic experts who are fighting on the front lines of this battle and standing firmly on God's word in the face of growing LGBTQ plus opposition to Christianity. Let me tell you, there's nothing else like God's Voice Conference to get Christians ready to stand in this evil day. So I hope to see you at the God's Voice Conference and outreach of First Stone Ministries, April 17th and 18th in Oklahoma City. And take advantage of our early bird discount registration, only $85 through March 16th. So don't delay. Go to godsvoice.us. That's godsvoice.us and register for a conference unlike any other. Go to godsvoice.us and register now. What the church needs now is God's Voice. From Kingdom Story Company comes I Still Believe. Based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe reminds us that amidst life storms, true hope can be found in Christ. He chose to walk into the fire with her. That's what love is. If one person's life is changed by what I go through, it will all be worth it. I Still Believe. Starring K.J. Apa, Britt Robertson, Shania Twain, and Gary Sinise. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. In theaters March 13th. More information is at istillbelievemovie.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us. And I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes it can be a little stressed. Uh, You can get stressed out and feel a little stressful when you are encountering the idea of sharing the gospel with another person. Nobody wants to get rejected. Nobody wants to feel like the person is offended. That's not very fun. But at the same time, we know that the only way that we came to know Jesus Christ is because some other Christian was faithful to share the gospel with us. And that's really our calling as Christians to get the good news out there that everybody may know Jesus Christ or at least hear of him so they have the chance to respond. Jeff Jarena is with us, host of Men Unplugged and author of Faith Without Fear, How to Share What you believe with confidence and power. All right, Jeff, we had that little tease before we went to the last break, but we were talking a little bit about sharing your testimony. Pick it up, if you would, where we had to leave off. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get it exactly where I was, because I was going, and that was actually a good break there. But um, what I want to say is this, is that your testimony, regardless of how you came to place your faith in Christ, whether or not you were six, seven, or eight years old, my, my wife actually came to know uh, Jesus at seven years old, and my daughter, Kinley, at six years old. So it doesn't matter. Uh, or maybe through a radical transformation when you're older like me. That doesn't matter. Because what I've seen, um, just myself and talking with other individuals, here's the thing, that a lot of times you're going to have your story, your testimony, your background, you're going to be able to relate with other people better than me. Janet, you'll be able to reach people that I'll never be able to reach with the gospel, and vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. That's how it should be. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing is this, that no matter what your testimony is, God wants to use it. And I would say this, what I think that God wants us to know today in today's age is that your story, 
story matters. It matters because it matters to God and it matters to others. Well, that's right. So sharing your testimony is an important step. And in your five steps of witnessing, your second one is a trust statement. What is that? What are you talking about there? Well, not to get too much in the specifics, but the trust statement really is what that is, is you're asking that individual that you're speaking to. You're asking them what it is that they believe, or maybe they don't have a belief here, but what do they believe that it takes to go to heaven? Hmm. Okay? Good. And, and what I mean by that is you can go out there and talk with somebody and you say, hey, how's it going today? My name's Jeff. What's your name? And, and you can say, hey, do you go to church on the weekend? And they go, yeah. And if I leave that conversation, Janet, and I don't really dig deeper, I don't find out what they believe, that individual sitting next to you, to your left or to your right in the pew, they might, may not be a saved person. Of course, right. And so we cannot assume that they are. And so we need to dig deeper. And so the trust statement is like this. This is kind of what it's like. Um, you go out there and you're talking with somebody and you share your testimony and you say, you know what? I had doubts that my salvation was secure. Somebody shared the gospel message with me. I came to understand it's not by what we do. It's by what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. My life was radically transformed for the better, right? Now, that's just a quick 15-second testimony. And then you can say, you know what? I want to ask you the same question. Do you know, do you, are you certain that when you die that you're going to go to heaven? Or would you have doubts? And then they say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Now, again, if I leave that conversation, Janet, and I don't dig deeper, how do I really know that they're basing their salvation on what they do, i.e. works, or by what Christ did, i.e. grace. Right, right. I need to dig deeper and say, well, what do you mean? What do you base that on? That's the trust statement. Well, and this, of course, leads to the most important thing of all, which is the presentation of the gospel. And I wish I could say with confidence that every single Christian knows how to present the gospel. But you and I know that that's not the case. Otherwise, you wouldn't even write a book of this sort. But when you are sharing the gospel, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. Obviously, you can do it with one main verse. You can do it with the Romans road. You can do it with the four spiritual laws. There are all sorts of different ways we've all heard that you can most effectively share the gospel. How do you tend to do it though, Jeff. I'm just curious when you witness to people, what sort of gospel presentation do you usually use when you're talking to somebody who's unsaved? That's a good question. Well, there's two of them that I give in the book, and one of those I actually go through all the role playing sessions, and, the, and then another one um, is just kind of a, it's a freebie method that you can have. But um, in terms of the one I usually use, it's what I would say it's the bad news, good news version. Okay, but, but there's a twist to that. And, and the twist to that, I'm not changing the scripture. I don't want anybody to think that, like, whoa, Jeff, what are you doing? The twist to that is the first part of that is I'm telling them what the gospel is. And you're like, well, what do you mean, Jeff? I thought that was the bad news, good news version. Well, it is, but in order for them to understand the good news of why they need to be saved, why they need Jesus in their life, they need to understand really what is the gospel message. And so I will give them two verses, and the main one is Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I want that individual to know 
that it's the power of God and not the power of man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so once they get that, now here's the thing. They have to get that because if if you go through the plan of salvation, uh, the gospel presentation, and that individual's not getting that component, it doesn't matter what you say. They're, They're checked out. They're like, whatever. But if they can get that and go, okay, wait a second. I get that that I'm bad, I get that I've done some bad things, I get that I've said some bad things, and I know that the good part is, it's something that God's doing. Tell me about the good part. Mm -hmm. And see, you're off to the races, then you start with the bad news, and then you share the good news. So that's, that's pretty much how I do it. Right. Now, when you're talking about the bad news, the bad news is that God has issued his law and we've all broken it. We're all in rebellion against our creator. We're born in sin. We've inherited Adam's nature. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for us on the cross and rose again from the dead on the third day. And when you are talking to people, do you generally find that people are resistant to the idea of sin or are they pretty much on board right away? Yes. Okay. I know I'm guilty. I know I'm not perfect because it would be difficult. And I, I've talked to people about this before. It would be difficult to simultaneously hold that I am sinful. I'll acknowledge I've lied. I've stolen. I've lost it. What have you. But basically, I'm good enough to get to heaven. Those two things are inconsistent. Is that something that you would address right out of the gate and say you can't be both. You can't be both good enough to get into heaven and also admit you're a sinner. And actually, the sinner part is the part that's true. That's why you need a Savior. Right. Well, actually, the first part of that, you actually share the gospel in yeah. about 30 seconds. That yeah. was awesome. Oh, that was really you. good. <laughs> no, it was really good. It was excellent. Um, to, uh, and see if, I, if I'm going to answer your question here. If I go off track, please, please let me know, because it, 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 was, it was a really good question. But I do address that. But what, what I want to get across here is that when I'm speaking with individuals, groups or whatever, here's what I've found. Most people, if they're really honest, they get that they're not good. Yeah. They right. get that most people aren't good. I mean, I've only had one gentleman, and I've spoken to a lot of people and shared the gospel to them. One guy, and to this day, I'm like, he still, he was so adamant about this, he said he never sinned. Wow, that's never crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. I said, you've never lied? Now you've even lied to your parents? He said, no. And I'm like, wow. And that was the only one, right? And I don't know if he fully understands what I said. I, Did I don't you know, ask but... his wife if she agreed with him? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't there. I would, she would probably say that. Too bad. But here's the thing. 99.9%, I would say almost 100% of people get that, yeah, there's a sin problem, and they get that, you know what, they've sinned. Mm-hmm. Okay. The thing is to get them from the sin problem, and then like you said, to get them to say, wait a second, I gotta, you have to understand that your sins, okay, there has, there's some eternal price for those sins. There had to be a payment, and you and I cannot make that payment. See, that is what we have to get across in the gospel message, is that we cannot fix this on our own, yes. and the world cannot fix it for us. That is... The only one who can fix it for us is Jesus. And I think when you go through that plan, what I've outlined here in that book, it's simple. And, and people will get it. Now, whether or not they're going to believe in Christ is a different thing. But you and I, or even the best salesman, we cannot convince somebody to place their faith in Christ. We can't do that. 
Only God can do that. That's it. That's exactly right. And and that is something that you also mention in the book. We have to understand that we share the good news, but God is the one who does the work of salvation. So we don't have to feel all of that pressure to get a decision right then and there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's such a good reminder. Well, the name of the book is Faith Without Fear, How to Share What You Believe with Confidence and Power, written by our guest, Jeff Tarina, who's been kind enough to join us today. And Jeff, we're so glad that you were with us. Janet, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much much, Jeff, for being with us. And we appreciate your book very much, Faith Without Fear. Thanks for joining us on Janet Meffer Today. We will see you next time. This hour of Janet Meffer Today was brought to you by Kingdom Story Company's I Still Believe, based on the real-life true story of chart-topping singer Jeremy Camp, I Still Believe, rated PG, parental guidance suggested, in theaters March 13th. More information is available at IStillBelieveMovie.com.